Hello, and welcome to episode 168 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. A warm welcome to Katie R., Crystal N., and Gil L. to The Modern Manager community. The fact that you are listening to this right now tells me that you are invested in your personal and professional development. So first off, congratulations on just being here and being an awesome human who actually wants to grow. I hope that you will consider taking the next step and becoming a member. In addition to getting various resources to help you put what you're learning into action, you also get to show your support for me and this podcast. You may have noticed that I don't take advertisements because I personally hate listening to podcasts with ads. So instead, at the start of every episode, I make a pitch like this asking you to become a member, which provides you with greater value and helps me continue to produce the show. To learn more about the benefits of membership and to show your support, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. Now, today's guest is Aaron Jewell. Aaron is a Thrive Global Top 10 Coach of 2021, an Executive Mindset and Performance Growth Coach, an international speaker, and a professor of leadership at Villanova University. She has over 20 years of leadership experience in the healthcare sector at Fortune 500 companies like Pfizer, Boston Scientific, and Medtronic, and was the founder of her own healthcare startup. As a global director, Aaron was responsible for $80 million in revenue and managed 200 direct and indirect reports. Along the way, she developed multiple strategies on how to optimize team performance. As a coach, Erin is passionate about empowering leaders to get the most out of their teams so they can achieve the results they deserve. Erin and I talk about how to increase the productivity of your team, what productivity is, the connection between biology and productivity, goals, stress, and so much more. Now here's the conversation. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Thank you so much for joining me today, Erin. I'm looking forward to our conversation about productivity because this is one of the topics that I actually don't know that much about, even though I spent a lot of time reading about it. So I'm hoping that we'll, uh, we'll dig into some fun stuff here. I am looking forward to it as well, Mamie. Thanks so much for having me on the show today. All right. So let's first maybe talk about how you think about productivity, because I know there are lots of different definitions of what productive is versus what effective is versus you know what efficient is. So how do you think about productivity? Wonderful way to start off today's conversation. So the way that I think about productivity and the work that I do focuses more on when we are feeling productive and when we are not feeling productive and how to become more connected with that. So the best way to explain this is by taking a closer look at the stress cycle and the fight or fight response versus rest and digest. So essentially our bodies like to be under stress. Our bodies enjoy going into the fight or flight response. It's how we were created So all this talk out there about, you know, creating this bubble for ourselves where we're not experiencing any external stressors would actually be really stressful for us. So when it comes to productivity, the problems that can and do occur is not because we are experiencing stress events throughout our day. In fact, the issue comes from the lack of pause in between stress events. So our bodies like to go into fight or flight and we perform very at very high levels 
when that cortisol release is taking place, it helps us to focus. It helps us to have that kind of game on, that clarity, that intentionality about our work. So that's not the problem. The problem occurs when we don't take breaks, when we don't pause in between those events. So if you were to look at a bell curve, for example, on the left-hand side, you would see what is known as eustress. And on the right-hand side, there's a point of diminishing returns and eustress becomes distress. So after chronic exposure, long periods of time being exposed to stress events without going into rest and digest mode, it impacts our productivity substantially. So in order to optimize productivity, basically we need to take breaks. One other thing I will mention about productivity in this area, and certainly we can go as deep as you would like, but it is, is around the idea of multitasking. So multitasking is a term that was developed for computers and not people. So when it comes to multitasking, People that try to multitask throughout a given day, it actually negatively impacts their productivity by up to, and on average, 28%. So almost a quarter of their day ends up kind of going down the drain as a result of an individual trying to do more than two things at once, which is the definition of multitasking. There is also another angle to productivity. And that involves something called the meaning quotient, MQ. And it was developed by the consulting firm McKinsey. They ran a study and they identified that individuals who felt more of a sense of purpose and passion, like their strengths were being tapped into at work, were also more productive. So the higher the MQ, the more productive employees ended up becoming. Oh my goodness. Okay, let's break this back down because that was so much good stuff in there. So it sounds like the first piece is that productivity or our productivity, you know, regardless of whether we're using task lists or different kinds of techniques to keep us on track and manage our time to all the things that all that actually, there's something underneath it all, which is our ability to be thinking and working at our optimal levels. And that if we're not taking care of ourselves by taking breaks, if we're not allowing our stress levels to be managed in a way where they go up, which can help us focus, and then they come down, which can help us recover. But if we, if we don't allow for that rhythm, then it doesn't matter what other techniques and tools and tricks that we're using because our brain's just not going to be as effective as it could. So I want to make sure I'm understanding this first part right. That is correct. Okay. So then the second part is around multitasking, which gets to kind of the the same issue that our brain is not being as effective and therefore it's wasting our time. Um, therefore, we're being less productive. So this idea that we can multitask and do multiple things at once is really a fallacy. And I'm actually curious about this. And if you've seen studies or, or know about it, are there differences? Like I think about like having a conversation while driving a car, like to me, that's multitasking. How is that the same or different from like being in a meeting and writing emails at the same time? So that is actually a really good example and one that I use a lot. So an example that's given in a book called That One Thing by Gary Keller, who actually talks about the nature of the word multitasking and the sort of the purpose of this book is to really highlight how detrimental multitasking has become to our culture, uh, at least in the U.S. And so 
the one example that's given is a man is, you know, he's driving home from work, you know, so we can just say, you know, man, woman driving home from work and they, you know, they get a call from their partner. And so they're driving. So then they pick up the call. And so they're listening to the partner and the partner is sharing with them information about a renovation that's being done inside of the house. And the partner is sharing about an update on a renovation that's being done inside of the house. So the person who's driving is focusing on the road, has also picked up this phone call and is, and is listening to the person is also looking visually looking out at the road as they're driving. And they're also now having to recall or visualize the renovation that's being described to them. So that's at least three things happening at once. And scientifically speaking, it is literally impossible for that individual to be able to be fully engaged in all three of those things, driving, listening and and visualizing and following along with the description. So one of them has to drop. So multitasking as it relates to the workplace is exactly that. If I am on these days with the virtual environment we're in, if I'm on a Zoom meeting and I'm also checking email, even that is already diluting my ability to, to be fully present and engaged in what's happening. But if I'm checking email and I'm also absorbing the information in the email and I'm coming up with a perspective or a plan or a response. That's a whole other task that I'm now integrating into my process that ends up really diluting my impact. And the, the impact, the, the dilution of impact, the results of that, we see it all the time. So for example, as a manager, how often have you communicated something to your team and only to find the next day you're getting emails from people saying, you know, either turning in something that is not what you asked for or saying, I don't really understand what the request was. And, And all of a sudden you find yourself saying, well, wasn't I clear? Like, how is this not translating? Like, have you found yourself in those interactions? How about as a parent with a child? When was the last time you tried talking you know, with your child while they are watching TV or on the iPad, right? So, and we become frustrated and we start to question our own communication abilities. And overall, it, it just, it affects the team dynamic. It affects the family dynamic. There's a breakdown in communication, a breakdown in trust, and obviously it impacts the results and the outcomes as well. So what do we do about that? Because we only have so much control of ourselves, right? Like we have lots of, of techniques for trying to keep ourselves focused, but sometimes, you know, there's just multiple things to be done. You have to be cooking dinner while you're on a late night phone call or your team, you can't always see them. You can remind them not to multitask, but are there particular things that we should or either we should do ourselves or we should really be cognizant of and remind our teams so that they can pay, be fully focused and they can not be multitasking either in meetings, but just also throughout the day. So there's a lot of possibilities in that, in that question. And there are certainly many solutions. So here's, here's the direction that we'll go for today's conversation. It's not an overnight fix. This is something that's very deeply ingrained into our culture in the U S and other cultures around the globe, not, not everyone. Some of the more spiritually defined cultures may be able to practice more of a presence and engagement where this is not happening. I will say that 
we are one of the only countries in the world that likes to eat lunch in the car and have our coffee while we're driving. I mean, the U.S., we're big multitaskers. It's just, it's kind of, it's, it's in our culture, right? That kind of instant gratification, how much can I accomplish, how quickly, because we are also an individualistic culture. So we very much celebrate the individual accomplishments, which is why entrepreneurialism is so celebrated in this country. And there are a lot of pluses to it potentially, right? So the flip side is we need to rewire our brains, literally. So it it can be a long process or a short process, depending on how familiar that story is to you. So one thing, for example, you said, you said, you know, well, sometimes we just have to do multiple things at once. And I would invite a consideration that, you know, how many of those things do we really have to be doing at the same time, you know, or is it something that has become habitual for us over time? And we're really kind of putting that pressure on ourselves to say, well, I have to do this, this, and this. In fact, words like have to, or should, or need to instantly imply some form of judgment, right? Because it's saying I'm not doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing. So, you know, I I once worked with a client who really felt at the mercy of their schedule. They were a leader in their organization And, you know, we had to break through some of these, these patterns of you are actually not at the mercy of your schedule. Yes, you have obligations for work and places you need to be, but believe it or not, and studies show we have a lot more slack in our schedule than we realize. For example, when we talk about productivity specifically, that is a word that means something different to everybody. So first things first with all of this checking in on what is my definition of productivity? What does that mean to me? Now, most of us, some element of, and I'm going to full circle answer your question here, don't worry. But most of us, when we look at productivity, it's some of it is is directly tied to revenue. So there was a study done that looked at productivity described in this manner, any activities that were directly tied to revenue. And what it showed was some of the most top performing professionals, business professionals, experienced up to 60 minutes of productivity on a daily basis. So somebody who's working eight plus hours a day based on the criteria for what productivity meant to them spent about up to 60 minutes a day actually churning out and experiencing a high level of productivity. So what does that mean? It means that the rest of the day, these professionals, these individuals were doing activities that were indirectly related to the results they were looking for or not related at all to the results that they were looking for. So this introduces a whole other element into the conversation. So what can we do back to the original question is it requires a brain retrain. Number one, taking a little bit of our power back with what we have to do and what we choose to do within the scope of what we're called to do from our organizations And it's also a matter of how do I value my time and how much of my time during the day am I allocating to directly to productivity, non-directly or not at all? All right. Well, I love this idea of productivity being focused on a set of activities that are somehow moving you towards your goals and that there are activities that are directly aligned with that. And then there are activities that are indirectly aligned. And then there are activities that sometimes you have to do anyways that are not at all related. And reframing how we think about our day and what percentage of our day we're spending in within those three buckets. So that's a, a like a great model. I'm excited to kind of now take a look at my own work and, and look through that lens. And I imagine that for teams to 
to use that further themselves as individuals, but also collectively, how much of our projects, how much of our meetings, right, are aligned in these different ways. And then, you know, your point about this reframe of should and would and have to and, you know, taking a step back you know, and retraining our brain on these things, it's, you know, it's just, it's so hard and it's so true. I mean, even things like, you know, like what does it mean in a holistic way to be a good partner so that you're thinking even in terms of like productivity, like how do I get the most out of my relationship with my partner given the limitations I have on my time between work and other, you know, self-care or other obligations. So we can apply this frame of productivity kind of beyond the workspace and focus on the things that matter most so that instead of multitasking and kind of spreading ourselves thin in ways, we can actually be more attentive, more present, more attuned. And it may end up being for less time, but the quality goes up. Is that kind of what you're saying? hundred percent. It's, you know, it does, it calls for a redefinition of what productivity means and doing a little bit more of a deep dive into, you know, what do I consider to be a productive use of my time? And the three categories are a very simple way to do that. You know, call them whatever you want, right? Non-productive activities, you know, semi-productive activities, highly productive activities, define what productivity looks like in any given area of, of one's life, right? And then kind of take it from there. You know, a quick anecdote, when I was living in Hawaii, I remember it was, um, I had left industry. I was doing kind of a whole reset of what I wanted to see for the rest of my career trajectory at the time. I was about to enter into the healthcare startup space. And I remember having a conversation with my father one day and he said, so what did you do today? And I said, well, I, I woke up at about 4.30 in the morning and I meditated. And then I, I practiced asana, which is yoga for a few hours and I made breakfast. And now I'm sitting on the lanai um, overlooking the ocean here on the big island. And he said, huh, okay. So what do you plan on doing today that's actually productive, right? And, uh, and it's great. I love it. And I, I tell this story a lot because my father is... He's, he's amazing. He's just been such a mentor for me, but it also speaks to this kind of more traditional leadership style that is changing now. Like what constitutes productive time? And for me at that time in my life, it was essential for me to do the things that I was doing, meditating, yoga, in order to have the clarity I needed to have to become more productive moving forward. You know, my dad used to say something really similar. He would walk out of the house every morning on his way to work when I was in high school, and he would shout back, have a productive day. And it really, like, it stuck with me. Like, it became a, a big focus and, and part of the drive to do the work I do. But in a way that was like, have a productive day was like, do something meaningful. Do something that moves you and your life forward. Do something that matters. Like get something done. Don't just kind of like wander through life or, you know, sit through high school and just let everything wash over you. And I never really like thought about how I interpreted his idea of productive until until just now. Like it it was something that I even think now about like having a productive day, but I never really like interrogated what that meant. So I, I appreciate that you brought this up as a way of like what is productive for you may not be the same thing 
that's productive for somebody else and that that's okay because you have to do what you need to do to be able to be productive. Absolutely. And the other thing I would say to that is the way to get to productivity looks a little different for everyone. So we're, we're talking about leaders and managers here. You know, when the manager is overseeing the team, you know, giving the team an opportunity to explore how to optimize their individual levels of productivity, how to get to the end, what the means looks like. So for someone that may mean a five minute break every you know, 90 minutes for someone else that may mean a 10 minute break every 50 minutes, you know, and you, you kind of partner with the team in the process to identify, hey, let's figure out when are you the most productive? What does this look like? Because honestly, for most of us, it comes and goes. It's in cycles. We are not physically able or physiologically able to produce the same amount of output all the time. It's not possible. So if that's something that we're doing, it's it'll it can happen for a period of time, but it's not sustainable. So now I'm hearing that we should be thinking kind of almost in like a framework of there's productivity in terms of your brain being optimized, which can come from scheduling and breaks, can come from working on different types of projects or doing different kinds of work that rely on different, you know, skill sets or brain power, getting enough sleep, right? Those kinds of stuff. Then there's the, what are you doing? So are you working on the things that are actually going to move you forward that are a good use of your time that are, you know, that you define as being value add? And then there's this like alignment with the context or the situation or those around you. So even things like knowing yourself of when you have your best hours and trying to build your schedule so that you get to do your deep work, you know, first thing in the morning when you're at your best or late at night because that's when you really come alive or not scheduling things where you're going to end up having to multitask because you're trying to, you know, do too many things at once. So there's like a contextual piece of this. I don't know if that resonates for you, if you have anything you want to add to, like what are these different dimensions that we should be considering when thinking about productivity? I mean, it would be smart to do it that way. You know, it's definitely not, it's not a process that exists within the current system generally, although some companies are, and it's become, it's changing more and more, but it it would just be smart to do it that way because hormonally, physiologically, men and women, you know, humans, we operate at different levels of varying levels of productivity throughout each day. You've got your night owls, you've got your morning people, you've got, you know, there's uh, Ayurvedic medicine talks a lot about the three different body types, Pitta, Kapha, and Bata, which basically Pitta people, you know, if they're not in bed by 10 and up by six, what happens is their second wind kicks in at night and they don't sleep well. And if they wake up after six, they are very sleepy and groggy throughout the day. You know, Kapha people need more sleep. Vata people need the least amount of sleep. They can get by on four or five hours, no problem. Kapha people need, you know, good seven, eight, nine. And Pitta people need their sleep too. And then you've got hormonally, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, certain times of the human cycle where we simply have more energy and more strength. And, you know, I've, I've had um, just working kind of on the women's health side of some of the work I do, I've had practitioners say to me, 
make sure you schedule big presentations and important deadlines during this time of your cycle. And it's an interesting topic and perhaps a whole other conversation. But at first I was like, you know, listen, I'm in my, my background's in sales and sales leadership. I was chasing a number for 15 years on an airplane, 80% of the time, you know, and for me, it was like, I was constantly out. It was all about output for me. And as much as I could, I produced at the same levels. And eventually I did burn out and I didn't believe it at first, but when I started to observe it for myself, and it's not like there are times of, of the month where I'm, you know, but there are certainly, it's like, take advantage of the momentum, right? That the body is creating and the same goes for men and the, you know, the testosterone and, you know, um, so it's, it's, it's really quite fascinating how we can leverage our bodies even to help us be more productive. Oh, I love this. And I'm wondering if there's anything specific that you recommend for teams to think about collectively. So if we wanted to go, you know, if I wanted to sit down with my team tomorrow and say, all right, guys, we can be more productive. Like what should the questions I be posing to the, to the team be? Or kind of what should the frame of that conversation be? Well, so I think a good start is to think about the definition of productivity, what that means, you know, having the manager have one-on-ones for all of these types of conversations can be really, is not always the most reasonable ask. So depending on the size of the team, having the team get together one-on-one in, in little breakout groups, right. And having conversations about what does productivity look like to me? And once they have that definition, three buckets, non-productive, semi highly, as it relates to the workplace and pay attention over a course of two to three days, how much time they're allocating to each of those categories and coming back to the manager and the manager has got to be coming from a place of non-judgment here and really creating an atmosphere of trust so that the team can be very honest and transparent about this process. You know, the manager knowing that studies show people are productive about an hour up to an hour a day, recognizing there's room for all of us to improve, right? Right. And then coming back and saying, okay, well, I allocate 30% of my time here, 40 here, 30 here. Okay, well, why don't we shift this a little more? Like, what else can you be doing to allocate more time to high productivity, right? Once you have that definition, that can be an extremely eye-opening exercise right off the bat. The other quick thing I would mention is there's two different, as Harvard Business Review talks a lot about this, there's two different types of people when it comes to time. There's clock time people and there's event time people. So somebody that may be coming across as less productive may actually be on the wrong schedule. And what I mean by that is some people, they're very, they're time, they're clock time people. So when the hour's up, it's on to the next task, whether or not that task has been complete. Then you have event time people. They are not going to move on to the next task until that first task is complete, or at least that is their preference. So these people are more highly productive depending on how much they're being aligned with those types of, you know, if I'm a clock time person, but I'm working off of an event time schedule that could negatively impact my productivity. So understanding, so getting together with the team saying, listen, we're going to, we're going to find a way to be more efficient as a team. We're going to explore this together creating that atmosphere of trust, perhaps talking about the areas where the manager has fallen short themselves to create some of that vulnerability, that trust, safety, and then having them the, the team just go through that exercise. 
Oh my gosh, there's so much more to say, but we have to wrap up. So Erin, can you tell us about a great manager that you worked for and what made this person so fantastic? Yeah, it's funny. So the first name that comes up is my Mark Moriello. Mark was my sales manager for when I was at Pfizer. It was my first role out of college. And what I loved about Mark was he was extremely he wasn't just motivating. He was also inspiring. He he had a, he was a very passionate human who cared a lot about the work he did. And from the beginning, he was focused on my career development. And he also provided just enough structure for me to not feel like I had to figure it out on my own. And was also, once I, I basically earned my stripes, right? I performed, I demonstrated my ability to perform. He became more hands-off and really let me you know, run with some ideas in the field and things like that. So the fact that he didn't he didn't micromanage ever, but he did provide more structure in the beginning when I needed it most and then was able to take that step back later on. And also being just so focused on my career development and pathway, I really appreciated. Awesome. And where can people learn more about you and keep up with your work? So the quickest place to find the majority of my information is erinjewelconsulting.com. So E-R-I-N-J-E-W-E-L-L, consulting, all one word. I have blogs about many different topics on leadership to include this. I have guided meditations for anyone who's looking to get into the practice a bit more. They are free. And you can also schedule a virtual coffee with me. If anything came up today that is of interest to you to unpack a little bit further, you can um, schedule some time for free uh, to speak. Well, thank you so much for talking through productivity with me and giving me some of these new ideas around what productivity can look like. Thank you so much for having me, Mamie, and for your thoughtful questions. Erin is offering a free one-on-one consult to members to help them discover the tools to put your why into your work and get your team the results they deserve. As an additional bonus, you get my favorite productivity hacks guide, where I share my go-to tools and practices that I rely on to be most productive. This offer is only available to members of the Modern Manager community. So to join, go to themodernmanager.com slash join. All the links are in the show notes and they can be delivered to your inbox when you subscribe to my newsletter. Find that at themodernmanager.com. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T. EOR.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.